This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. If this is not one of the strangest stories you've heard in a long time, you lead a very exciting life. Let me just say that. Because the police, 911, not police, 911 operator in Ohio, in Sheffield, I guess it was, Sheffield Lake near Cleveland, a 911 operator in Ohio a couple days ago was shocked when they got a call with this muffled voice on the other end of the line. Well, and this is what the person said. I have a boa constrictor stuck to my face. This woman has a pet snake that I don't know when or where she got it, but somehow the snake, according to her, to the 911 operator, had latched onto her face and was not releasing, and she couldn't get it off her face. She couldn't pry the mouth open, and she was stuck as snake face lady. So the, the operator, by the way, the dispatcher, here's the line of the year. The dispatcher talking to the woman in the background can be heard saying, I've never heard of this before. Really? You've never had a call before with a python or a boa, whatever the heck it was, stuck to some woman's face. That's a new one to you. Really? (laughs) One hopes this is an uncommon experience. You know, maybe, I don't know what's going on in Sheffield Lake, but if this was happening regularly, we would, this would be a horror movie. Yes. I think there were a series of films like this. This, I've never heard of this before. Well, as you say, I would hope not. Anyway, uh, the woman's name was not released. She was keeping the boa. As a pet, okay, so it was her pet. Uh, she also had nine pythons, by the way. So this woman is um, is big into her snakes. Anyway, uh, first responders get to her. They, they get to her house. She's lying in the driveway in a pool of blood. This thing has, when, when it says latched onto her face, it's like latched onto her face. This is not a, like a ha-ha funny. It's got some sort of like octopus tentacle sucking... Oh, no, no, no. This thing is like dug in. Now, she went to hospital, non-life-threatening injuries. But, Will, any guesses how they released the snake from her face? Um, it's, not, it's not a good way. Ooh. Um, they had to chop off the snake's head while it was on her whoa. face. Oh. Yep, yep, yep. That's... Um, this is a horror movie now. That's how you do it, I suppose. You, um... Jeez. There you go. Well, if that, as I say, if that's not the oddest story or the strangest story you've heard today, if you've lived something weirder than that. Yeah, that's the tops. If you've had an experience more unusual than that today, please call us right now. You will come on the air. If you can top that one, I, I, I find it hard to believe anyone can top having a boa constrictor latched onto their face and having to be released by having the snake's head chopped off. But anyway, hopefully your day was better than that. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. There was a move today in the world of the Hamilton Tigers. Everyone's talking about the Hamilton Tiger Cats. You know, this is the interesting thing about the Hamilton Tiger Cats, among other things. Not just them, other teams too. You want to get people talking about you? You want to get people interested in you? The secret seems to be, be horrible. If you're really bad, if you lose 60 to 1... Everybody, even those people who don't really care about football, are talking about you. If you had won by two touchdowns in Calgary, nah, the fans are talking about you, but no one else is. But you lose 60 to 1, man, you are the topic of discussion, for better or for worse. But because of the 60 to 1 loss, in part, 
The Ticats went out today and hired a guy named June Jones. Now, some of you are going to know June Jones. He's been involved with the CFL a long time ago. In 1986, he was the Ottawa Rough Riders offensive coordinator. Hasn't been, I don't even know if he's been back to Canada since then for a visit, but he's been other places. He was the coach at the University of Hawaii, always wore the lay when he was coaching. Um, His most recent job in football was as offensive coordinator for a high school down in Hawaii. So... Bubba O'Neill, who joins us now from CHCH Sports, is this the most ingenious, brilliant hire that is going to turn around the Ticat season and make everything okay in Zach Caleros land? Or is this an absolute sign of panic and desperation that is just throwing darts at a dartboard now, hoping something hits the bullseye? Well, I mean, had it been maybe some up-and-coming guy, I could have probably leaned closer to that there, Scott. But when you look at a guy with June Jones and his experience, and especially his experience with working with quarterbacks, I mean, Brett Favre, Jim Kelly, uh, Jeff George, I mean, just to name a few. And he's made a lot of those quarterbacks uh, good quarterbacks. He also was sort of the guy that perfected the run-and-shoot offense, that sort of developed it and took it to a new level. And, I mean, and, and we saw, you know, a lot of quarterbacks. Now, I will say it was about some, you know, some 20 years ago, really prosper um, because that offense, I think, works real well, spread offense, quarterback rolling around, moving, throwing, and, and collecting lots of yardage and hopefully lots of points as well, too. So uh, this is a guy that actually I – believe can help the Hamilton Tiger Cats. We're going to see, I think, quickly. I don't think, well, according to uh, uh, Drew Edwards from The Spectator, he was not at practice today. It's going to be a couple days before he can get to practice, so he may or may not be on the sideline for Friday night's game. He, 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 actually, we had Ken on the on, on CHH on the, on okay. the 11 o'clock news, uh, sorry, the 6 o'clock news, and he's expected to be on the sidelines. He, he said he's going to hit the round, ground running. They, okay. have, they have a plan for him immediately and should be with the team probably tomorrow. I guess in travel, we'll be with the team in that when they get to Edmonton. I don't know how much impact he could have that quickly, but after this week, they come home, they've got Winnipeg, they've got Ottawa, they've got a bye week, and then they've got the Labor Day game against Toronto, three home games which if he's going to be impactful, I think it'd be fair to expect that by the Labor Day game, at least you would like to think that if he's got the magic elixir by then, that something would have kicked in. Absolutely. And I'm sure, you know, the first couple of weeks will probably, you know, like I guess any guy that comes in mid-season will be doing some observing, um, maybe offering a point or two here and there. But he he's got to learn. He's got to probably acclaim reacclaim himself with the CFL game. I mean, hey, well, I mean, football guys are football guys and no offense. But he's just going to have to reacclaim himself for the game because, as you mentioned earlier, he hasn't been uh, in the Canadian game. I mean, he played with the Argonauts way back, I think, in like the early '80s. And you know, as you said, coach with the Ottawa Rough Riders. And I don't even know when's the last time any of us have said the word Ottawa Rough Riders, <laughs> right? So 1982, by the yeah, way, was yeah. when he played. Yeah. So I mean, so you're talking a long time ago, but. I mean, the game has changed somewhat, but some of the, the, the basics of the game and the field dimensions and the passing and all that kind of stuff still exist. Um, you know, and, and the fact that he and if he speaks quarterback language and offensive language, and, that, and that's really what the Cats are struggling with right now. I mean, definitely the Cats are struggling defensively, and they have a young secondary and special teams allowed a, a you know punt return last week. But getting, I think, when you talk to anyone that's watching the Tiger Cats, it's like, what's wrong with Zach Galeros? What's wrong with that offense? And then we've heard, you know, there was tension between uh, Caleros and head coach Ken Austin. So 
maybe having that middle buffer guy and 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 again a guy to watch and observe and point out and guide in the right you know give a little mentorship and guidance maybe that's what this quarterback needs right now maybe that's I shouldn't even I'll extend it that's what this team needs right now to be more successful well let's put it this way um not to be too sarcastic about this but they can't be worse Right, I mean, there's the the only they place one point, yeah, and the, it wasn't even the offense. So you're, you're you're correct in saying that the only place they can go from here is up. So when June Jones shows up, and assuming they don't lose by 59 points again on Friday night, because that would be somewhat startling if they did. Uh, assuming that doesn't happen, you can look and go, look, June Jones has already made a positive impact on this team. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> now, but if I, they I, lose I, by 60. Oh, we got to fire June Jones. He's a, he's bad luck. Please, please, please. I mean, you know, I mean, not to go go go. You know, we don't look too much on that disaster last last Saturday. But you know, the, I guess I, a lot of the talk was, "What well, was the second worst loss in franchise history?" And I thought to myself, you know, well, they, I guess it was 1952 or 56, and they lost to Montreal. I believe it was 84 to 14 or 86 to 14. But I I, I would suggest that the, what we saw on sat last Saturday was the worst because to me two things here Scott at least that team back in the 50s scored two touchdowns 100% might have allowed 86 but scored two touchdowns it is nearly impossible it is so difficult and it happens rarely but it is so tough to not you know kick a couple field goals or three field goals and maybe you had no touchdowns but one rouge and that rouge barely made it into the end zone. You know? Like it crossed the goal line by about a foot and then bounced out. Now they didn't even want to get that point. They wanted to pin Calgary deep, which actually suggests that that rouge was a mistake. <laughs> that was another mistake. They got a point by accident. They didn't want that point. They wanted the ball to bounce out at the one-yard line. But you're absolutely right. The fact that the team back in whenever it was, the dawn of time, the Paleozoic era that lost that big score, the fact that that happened but they put up some points... I'm with you 100%. I think that there's no doubt that this was probably the worst, most complete loss in CFL history. And so one of two things, I had Rick Zampern on here last week, and I actually asked him this question beforehand. I said, because Calgary, we knew was a good team, and Hamilton was not playing as a good team. Is it better for Hamilton to go into Calgary, if if they're going to lose, is it better for them to lose by a couple points in a real nail-biter, or is it better to get shellacked? Now, I did not think when I said shellacked, they would be losing like that. But what do you think? Is this is this the kind of game that you look at as a player and you go, you know what, we're going to be so good this week in Edmonton because we were so humiliated and our pride was so beaten down that this is actually exactly what you needed? Or is this the other side? Is this that we have so little confidence now that we're not going to be able to rebound from this? No, they've, they've got to play a good football game, Scott. I mean... And there could be nothing else short of that, quite honestly, um, because that was so bad, really, that uh, we need to see a good showing, and a close game will lift the confidence of this club. I think, uh, I, I think that's the only way you can look at it. You need because right now, I think the question is: Look, guys, you embarrassed your team, you embarrassed yourselves to some extent. You're almost looking to ask about a a character, I think, question right now. And if they play poorly, I mean, all kinds of questions open up. And as I've 
you know, we've covered, you and I have been alongside and, you know, probably, I've been around and probably covered this team for 15 years. And we can go back and watch some real bad Hamilton Tiger Cat football teams in the past. You know, guys with the Casey Printers running the team. Uh, I mean, uh, the, were... the coach of the team they're about to play on Friday was in that position. Jason Moss was a quarterback of a oh, bad Hamilton just, team. On a, on, a, on a real bad team. I forget who's the quarterback from Hawaii. I forget. Timmy Chang. Timmy Chang. <laughs> I was waiting to, for the announcement today that if June Jones, <laughs> Jones is coming, Timmy Chang is right in his wake. <laughs> we're going to go to Timmy Chang at quarterback. These are, these were some really bad teams. And, and the and and I don't and we never saw a loss that bad, Scott. No, nope. with those teams and those were really bad teams. So like these guys need to show some pride. And the sad thing, or the thing that scares me the most, is that if they don't play well, if they don't play well, are we going to see more infight? Or, or does the infighting start? Does uh, well, it already has. Fight? Yeah, well, you know, and I'm saying, you know, I'm not saying just so much, you know, on the on the field there, but in the locker room, and that's what really concerns me. This game, no, I, I'm with this game. To me, is it's not the must win because if they lose this game, it's not like they miss the playoffs. They could go zero and nine and still make the playoffs in the CFL East Conference. This game, to me, though, Bubba is. Every, this game tells you everything about this team. This is the most insightful. Uh, this game will be the most insightful thing we're going to see. If they play great, it means, okay, our pride was damaged. We've got a better team than you've given us credit for. It was a one-off. We'll bounce back. If they get shelled again, it says they don't have the talent. They've given up on Kent Austin. They're not a prideful bunch. There's all kinds of things. But th- this game is all about a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, I can't disagree with you, Scott. I mean, it really is that important. I think, and you just you've got to show, you know. And I think they have to show to each other as a as a as a teammates and and not just and not embarrass themselves like that because that was that was like I don't know about you, but there were several times while watching that game last week that I'm like, um, is this for real? You know what that game reminded me of? You're a broadcaster. You're a good broadcaster. I know you know the reference I'm going to use. I hope the listeners know the reference I'm going to use. That was the broadcasting equivalent. That was the football equivalent to the guy from, uh, what was the university with Boom Goes the Dynamite? <laughs> that was that was the football equivalent of that guy's sportscast. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go to YouTube and just type in Boom Goes the Dynamite and watch the world's worst sports cast. That's what that was. All right, let me change topic topic for a second here. I want to ask you about something else in the few minutes we have left. Let me read you a few headlines here. Uh, the Vols were disrespected at the SEC Media Day. Um, Crystal Palace flop Steve Mandana refusing to report for preseason training after being disrespected by Eagles. Patriots' David Harris felt blindsided and disrespected by his release from the Jets. Florida running back Mark Thompson feels disrespected. Can't wait, can't wait to beat the brakes off of Michigan. Usain Bolt displeased with Andre DeGrasse's disrespect. And the reason I asked, I bring all these up is because I'm going to a Jays game from yesterday. Jays are playing against Chicago. Uh, the, Marcus Stroman gets out a guy named Tim Anderson, and a thing breaks out. A skirmish because they're... Tim Anderson doesn't like something. And after the game, he said, well, what was that all about? And he said, it was just the way he carried himself. I felt disrespected. (laughs) Explain to me in the world of sports what 
the whole disrespect thing is and why athletes feel uniquely disrespected more than any other group in the history of society. <laughs> because at my work, if someone looks at me funny or someone says something that I somehow misconstrue, I can't like start a brawl because I felt disrespected <laughs> by my deskmate or the person who sits across me. Why, why are athletes so apparently thin-skinned that anything is a sign of disrespect? Now, let's be honest, uh, and I've said this many times, I've tried to explain this to different people um, across our world of sports, is that in the world of sports, athletes are different people. And <laughs> you're right, a little cut eye, a, a wrong look, what do you say? You say something to me? Uh, like, it, we, we, they are sensitive, they're ultra-sensitive and... Well, he said it's the way that Marcus Stroman carried himself. He carried himself. And, and I'm like, wait a second. So he's excited that he got you out. Is that not his job to be excited that he got you out? But he's supposed okay. to get you well, out. there's the code, Scott. There's, there's these various amounts of codes in, in, in that sport where, you know, you're not supposed to celebrate home runs. You're not supposed to celebrate strikeouts. You're, I mean, it, 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 it's almost like they want to bring golf into it, that whole gentleman stuff into it. I, I, we, you and I have discussed this off the radio before where it's like, why can't you celebrate? And uh, I'll continue to ask that question, but the old school guys and the old school fans and even old school players would say, no, you can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. And, uh, again, the guy cut him a look. And, uh, and I will say this. And this is maybe not fair to say, but uh, in past histories, there is maybe something about uh, Marcus Stroman that that sometimes gets umpires and opposing players a little overly fired up. Okay, I agree with you that he has managed to get other people fired up. I'm not entirely sure why, and maybe if, if we didn't live in, in the Toronto area and see the Jays all the time, maybe it would be clear. I mean, look, uh, Jose Bautista is another example. Everybody in the world of baseball apparently hates Jose Bautista. Uh, because of things he does, and not just because of the bat flip, because of staring at the umpires and blah, 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 blah. But again, I go back to this thing. I, I watched that again, and I saw nothing in there that led me to the opinion that Marcus Stroman had showed the guy up, that had tried to humiliate him. We've seen much bigger reactions from other people, and well, it's okay. I, I, I just I don't understand how... How you could, to me, guys are looking to be disrespected. If you're picking that stuff up, it's because you're out there looking for it. Well, I mean, I guess there might have been some issue about the way. I mean, Strowman has these two deliveries at this point of his career right now, and one is sort of a little bit more of a delayed um, leg kick. Yep. And and I know the umpires aren't quite sure about it, and players were calling timeout in the midst of this slow leg kick and. Strowman was getting upset. We're like, well, I'm, no, I'm delivering. I'm going to the home plate. And, um, again, he, uh, we see Roberto Osuna. He actually does the same thing as well, too. Uh, sometimes it's just a straight wind-up and pitch, and then the other ones there's just a delayed thing. And I guess some players don't like it and think that he's maybe cheating. And, well, you Darvish does it all the time. I've never seen anyone get upset with you Darvish. I mean, again... It's as long as you're within the rules, and that is just a way to change the hitter's timing. You're, the pitcher's job is to get the batter out. Absolutely. And if you're performing within the rules, and you do something that is legal, and the batter doesn't like it, but he gets you out, if I'm the batter, I don't have a right to be dis feeling disrespected. I'm not. He wasn't disrespecting me, unless you're considering 
not allowing me to build my batting average disrespectful. <laughs> what, he's supposed to go up there and throw you a fastball right down the middle because that's how he respects you. Hey, man, uh, I respect I, you. Here's a, here's a meatball. But you can't look at me that way, Scott. I don't, I don't like the way you're treating me. <laughs> I don't like you throwing me sliders. That's disrespectful. <laughs> you know, Your cut fastball is disrespectful to me. You can strike me out, but you can't look at me after. You know? And... Now, I will again. I will still say this. I'll still maintain this. That you know, unfortunately, Strowman does have a bit of a reputation. And uh, again, I'm not quite sure if the cameras. I mean, we, maybe something we didn't see um, that he sort of mentioned. Maybe, maybe. He said underneath maybe. his breath. Uh, he certainly. I mean, you only need to go back to his last start. I guess it would have been last Thursday where he might have uttered something to the umpire and got impromptly got ejected. And that led to uh, a Russell Martin ejection. But that's not what uh, what Anderson said. He never said he said something. He says the way he carries himself. It just we got to go. It just makes me think. Could you imagine today in today's athletic sporting climate with the <laughs> thin skin of players? If Tiger Williams was playing and he scored a goal and rode his stick all the way up the ice like he used to do, or if remember when Theo Fleury scored that yes, goal in the playoffs yes. and slid rolling around like the whole length of the ice, somebody would skate over to that guy and chop him in half with their stick. Well, think about the I mean, just just quickly here. Remember the year that Ovechkin scored his fiftieth goal and he did the hot stick. Yeah, and his teammates didn't even like it. Or Timu Solani throws his glove up in the air and shoots it like a rifle. The people would get killed today. Everyone celebrates. I that love that spot. stuff. I love that stuff. I, I still love the fact that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers that time against Hamilton jumped into the boat in the end zone. I thought oh, that was hilarious. That was Wyke Bradley. That was that was spectacular. Or was it the Ticats against Winnipeg? I can't no, remember. No, but the Ticats did that at the at that's old, right. uh, Manitoba at that old field in in, in Manitoba. I think anyone who uses the word disrespect at this point should be suspended for the year. You're not allowed to play anymore. If you can't take being disrespected in a way that's not disrespectful, you can't play. Go back and work in McDonald's. There will be a lot of players that get suspended, that's for sure. Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. You can watch him tonight at 11 on the news doing sports and weather and, I don't know, probably other stuff too. Um, Bubba, thanks for doing this. Thanks for the respect. (laughs) That is, uh, yeah, no disrespecting there. Although he may leave the air and say, you know what? The fact that he laughed at the end, I thought that was disrespectful. He disrespected me. I'm not disrespecting him, and he wouldn't say that. Quick break. Back after this on The Scott Radley Show. And boom goes the dynamite. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Back in 2014, there's something called Nitro Circus. Now, some of you are going to be familiar with Nitro Circus. Some of you are not going to be familiar with it. Nitro Circus is... We'll call it a stunt show. It's motorcycle jumps and other things, and it's high adrenaline, big excitement, high-flying stuff. Back in 2014, it was being held at First Ontario Centre, downtown Hamilton here. And my next guest, a guy by the name of Bruce Cook, was trying to set a record by doing a double, I think it was a double backflip on his motorbike. And things kind of went horribly wrong. Well, this week, he is back in town, three years later, I don't know if he's going to be doing the same trick again. We'll get to that in just a second. But uh, Bruce Cook joins me now. Bruce, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Take us to um, to Hamilton three years ago. Now, I don't know how much you like talking about this. I don't know how comfortable comfortable you are talking about this. Uh, but <laughs> but tell us what happened that day. Yeah, so I was actually um, almost got it. I was set to attempt the, the world first double front flip on a okay. dirt bike, which, um, yeah, as if it doesn't sound like it would work, it turns out it didn't. Um, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, so I was, uh, I was confident, but ended up under, under rotating a bit, which means I basically got one and three quarter rotations and basically landed 
vertically on my bike and just couldn't hold on, uh, slid off the back and uh, basically folded in half backwards, which resulted in um, breaking my T11 vertebrae and a spinal cord injury. Had you? How long had you been uh, riding bikes before this point? Like you weren't brand new at this. This is obviously something you've been oh, doing no. for a long, long uh, time. Yeah, I've been on two wheels on dirt bikes since I was about five years old. So I've grown up uh, on dirt bikes. <laughs> and where did the idea for this particular trick come from? Had this been something you've been thinking about for a long time, or was this something someone backstage said, "Hey, you know, what you should try Bruce. Try this thing." Yeah, no, it's it's something we were thinking about and took months and months of practice into the foam pit and, and trying to perfect it with the different ramps and everything. And, um, yeah, it's just it came from just the, the goal of um, constant progression and just always pushing the sport and, and everything. And um, that was kind of next up on the list. So, um, yeah, it, it, anyways, there was, there was months of, of practice going into it. And so, obviously, the fact that you had felt that this was a time when it was okay to do it, you had basically in your mind perfected it with the foam pits it was safe now to bring it out to try it in a real life circumstance right and it's always uh well foam pits are obviously foam so they're a bit more forgiving um and then you always have to there's that gap between uh the foam pit and going to a landing which the landing's always a slightly different uh height and then you have to kind of take your best guess on 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 the gap the distance uh, that you have to clear and everything so uh, as calculated as you can get, there's there's going to be some, um, you know, a, a slight area of guessing. And uh, as far as the distance, we nailed it. But, um, yeah, it was just the, the rotation wasn't quite enough. Did you know when you were in the air that you were in trouble? Or was it only when, it, when you landed that you realized that this had gone wrong? I mean, maximum you've got about three seconds in the air. And, and the majority of that you're, it, is a blur because you're spinning so fast with a double front flip. But... Uh, split second before I knew I was uh, under a little bit, but it just wasn't quite enough to, to change anything. And um, yeah, basically instantly knew I'd, I'd broken my back. We're all pretty good at self-diagnosing injuries now. Uh, everyone on the crew, I think between us all, we've broken most bones in the body. So um, yeah, I knew knew it was bad right off the bat, but uh, at the same time, I was still moving my arms and everything. So it, it definitely could have been worse. So you stayed conscious through the whole thing? Oh yeah. So I'm not sure if that was a good thing or a bad thing, but I was fully there. <laughs> you know, uh, thankfully, uh, myself and I'm guessing 99.9% of the people listening have never broken their back or their neck or anything, and I hope no one ever will. I'm touching all the wood I can find no. in the studio right now. Yeah. When that happens, though, Bruce, I mean, this is a silly question, but I just don't know. D- because you've lost feeling from the breakdown, is it agonizing or do you feel anything at that point? Uh, unfortunately, I'm one of the very very few that uh suffers from nerve pain so it's basically um i don't know if you've heard of phantom pain um, especially with people who have lost limbs so for example someone who's lost a leg and still complains about their foot hurting or something it's basically the same obviously my legs are still there but um i think it's just the nerves sending a confused signal to the brain there's something that's just not right so so as you're lying as you're lying on the ramp, were you in agony or were you just realizing um, something was wrong? Honestly, the right when I broke my back, it was it was kind of it was really no more painful than um, any other broken bone, say a, an arm or something. Um, but just obviously a lot more scary being the back and and mm. not feeling my legs. It, it's instant; you, you don't feel anything, and it's kind of a, a burning sensation. And um, yeah, so it was just. More scary than anything, but uh, like I said, it was just kind of instantly grateful for that it wasn't my neck, mm-hmm. A, and, and B, you know, we've, we've lost a, 
uh, a few friends in the sport, so it wasn't that bad. So, um, yeah. Do you recall? I don't know if you would have noticed, but do you did you have any recollection or realization of what the crowd was doing at this point? I imagine it was completely silent in there with just people shocked. But did did that register with you? Yeah, for sure. Uh, it was it was silent. I mean, none of us like to crash. I mean, it's bad for ourselves, but then it's just it's you know it's not a good thing for show, and, and you just don't like crowds to see serious accidents. So. Mm. Um, as much as you think about that, yeah, you're thinking about the crowd, and then my parents and, and best friend were in the crowd too. Oh. So I was thinking about oh. that that wasn't uh, exactly what I wanted them to see. So it was, uh, yeah, a lot of things, a lot of things going through my head. That would be horrible. That would be horrible. Yeah. I mean, it really would. Yeah. And so, you, I mean, obviously, you go to the, you have to go in your surgery and everything else. And I, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to get into all the rehab and everything else. I know it was lengthy, and I know it was, you know, a lot. Mm-hmm. But how long after your accident did the doctors tell you, no, you're never actually going to do something this stupid again? <laughs> um, well, basically, it was instantly I knew I wanted to get back on the bike. Really? Um, you know, you always, you always picture what your last show is going to be like, and I definitely didn't want my last show to be leaving the arena on a stretcher. So I at least wanted to get back on a bike and, you know, get in front of a crowd at least once, whatever I was doing. So um, I was three months in hospital, and uh, during that time, I basically didn't let the doctors uh tell me the the full diagnosis because they just want to come in the the room and tell you you're never going to walk again and um you know i i don't need to hear that and and every um injury is different especially with spinal cords so i just told them to 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 not and you know whatever's going to happen with it is going to happen and i'm just going to try my best in physio so i was three months in hospital and then went down to california for some rehab and basically worked towards the goal of getting back on my bike. And nine months after the accident, I was back on the bike again. And uh, shortly after, I uh, landed my first backflip. Before the, the return to the backflip, how do you even, honestly, how do you ride a motorcycle if you don't have feeling in your lower half? Well, I kind of lucked out that one of my best friends is a fabricator. So he built a cage. Uh, basically, it's bars that go around my legs and bolt to the dirt bike in, in case I fall over to protect my legs. And then there's a small cage that goes on the seat to kind of help with balance as, uh, yeah, obviously not having any core strength. And then uh, the scariest part, which is the seat belt. So um, I'm, I'm strapped to the bike at all times. So there's, there's no eject button anymore. <laughs> and so when you decide to get back, I, I would assume, again, I'm doing a lot of assuming here, but I would assume that when you first start, it's not doing jumps. It's just learning how to ride again and figure out if you can actually do this. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. We had we had no idea how it was going to go. I didn't know if I was going to ride a few feet and, and fall over or if I was going to be, you know, uh, just good to go and, and, and ride away. And turned out it was it was all good. The balance was good. And um, obviously with, with speed, um, the balance is better. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of, there was a lot of new things. But at the same time, you know, it's like riding a bike. It, it kind of, everything comes back to you. And um, it worked a lot better than any of us expected, I think. <laughs> so your parents were in the audience when this horrible thing happened. Do you call your parents and tell them before the first time you're going to do a jump again, or do you figure, <laughs> no, it's probably best they don't know what I'm about to do here? No, I actually, honestly, uh, I didn't even tell them about the first show. I went and landed it, and then uh, I called them after I'd landed and <laughs> said it was a success. <laughs> <laughs> did, did In your first show back, did they announce to the crowd what your circumstance was so everybody knew or was it let's just sort of underplay this and keep it really quiet and see how this goes 
Yeah, no, they definitely did. And it was uh, beforehand they didn't because uh, we weren't 100% sure when and where I was going to do it. But it turned out to be in Toronto, which was cool, being an hour down the road. And um, so, yeah, a ton of the people in the stands that night were had been at the show uh, where I had crashed. So that was, uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. Definitely added to the emotion, that's for sure. It was kind of like having... Uh, your, your close friends and family in the in the stands watching it uh, more than just kind of a, a distant crowd. Bruce, every athlete that's ever been hurt uh, that I've ever talked to, one of the things is you have to be confident. You're not going out there thinking about your injury again because you can't perform no. if you're thinking about it. But if I'm a hockey player who's had a concussion or a football player with a broken leg or something, that is that is different from what you're doing here and what the injury was that you had. And Did it cross your mind at all as you're getting ready to do this of – what exact? What am I doing again? Why am I doing this again? Was there a moment when it went through your head that this may not be the smartest thing a human being could do? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And uh, I mean, same with my friends. It's like everyone was, um, you know, the, my close group was behind me, and everyone was working to work, to get the bike going and everything. And then they've voiced to me since that it was kind of like, you know, as I was about to go during the show, it was kind of like, oh man, like what what have we done? Is the uh, <laughs> did we just kind of set up for another life-changing event or what? So it was, um, it was a pretty crazy moment. And like you said, you don't want to focus on that. And, and even now, it's, you want to keep it in the back of your mind. You never want to get overly confident because that's when accidents can happen. But um, you need to be confident with keeping the risk, uh, you know, somewhere in the back of your mind. So was it the same or even more exhilarating when you landed that first one and realized that you had come back and done it again? Yeah, I think even even more just because uh, I had that brush, you know, basically brush with death. It could have gone um, a lot worse. So, um, and like I said, all those people that were in the stands that had, I'd have received hundreds of support and, and well wishes from from all those people in Hamilton that were in the stands that night and none of them knew I was going to be there and I hardly knew I was going to be at that show. So it was, um, yeah, like you said, I, I think it was a lot more exhilarating and certainly more emotional. Are you, not because of the ability to do the flips or whatever, but if, and again, I'm touching all the wood I can find in here, uh, if you were to have <laughs> another wipeout, even if it was not a similar one to you had to the one you had are you at more risk now because of what you've gone through to more serious or more damaging injury if you if you had a lesser of a fall are you at risk of becoming quadriplegic or anything like that or is it are are Um, you put together enough now with all the nuts and bolts and (laughs) rods and everything yeah are you are you like when i say normal like could your body withstand a normal blow that an average person who hadn't gone through what you did would be able to withstand I wouldn't say necessarily it's more risky because of the um, because of the accident, and I, I do have two titanium rods um, from my T9 to L1 vertebrae. Um, you have to be careful with it, but uh, the yeah, I wouldn't say it's the, the the previous injury that that makes it more dangerous. It's basically my setup now, having to have the the seat belt on, um, which does make it more dangerous, but. Um, since the first one, we've uh, installed a, a bit of a roll bar on the bike, and to exactly protect my protect my neck. And um, I've unfortunately tested it out already, and <laughs> it's worked good. Uh, so, yeah. It's, um, Did you tell your doctors you were doing this again? 
<laughs> um, he's actually the, the doctor I've got. Is, he's been my doctor my whole life. He actually delivered me, so he's. He, I don't think it came as any surprise to him. He's got a probably a file filing cabinet full of my records, so I don't think it was any surprise to him. But uh, it's good to get a professional opinion. But Bruce, the thing the thing that a lot of people I'm sure would listen to this and say, listen, you escaped with not just the ability to use your arms and still be able to do all these things, but you escaped and you're alive and you're obviously uh, intelligent and clear-headed and all these things. Like You got away with one. And I'm sure there are people listening saying, why in the world would you do it again and take the risk that you could lose everything? What, what do you say to those? Because you, you know as well as I do, I'm sure people have actually said this to you or said it behind your back, I'm not sure, yeah. that yeah. You, are, you, you, you had the lucky break of all lucky breaks and you are pushing your luck. You must have a death wish or not respect your body or not respect the doctors. What do you say to these people? Um, I mean, I'm sure a lot of those people have never experienced the, the level of passion as I have for, for motorcycles and um, that being one thing. And then uh, I really only plan to kind of do the one show back in front of a crowd again uh, for myself just to kind of, you know, come full circle and, and complete that. Like I said, not go out on a stretcher. But uh, since that first show, just the, the feedback I've gotten from literally all over the world these days with social media um, of people just kind of being inspired and, and motivated to maybe try a little harder or, or, you know, push on when times get tough. And a lot of people with disability or uh, diseases or whatever it is, um, just saying since they saw the show, uh, it's, it's, you know, motivated them to, to push a little harder and try a little harder. So I just kind of look at it as if, if one person has to go through something bad to, you know, maybe light a fire under a few hundred people or whatever the number is, then it kind of, it might just make this whole thing worth it. You will be at Tim Hortons field with nitro circus Friday evening. Um, what will you be doing there? Same the, the backflip, the, the, the one you were doing, you're not doing the double front flip again. Definitely not. No, I've hung that one up. So, so yeah, I've, I brought my modified bike and it'll be my first time back in Hamilton since that, that crash three and a half years ago. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm set to, to make it a good show this time. It is, uh, it is a remarkable story. I'm glad. I mean, obviously, we're thrilled that you're able to do this again. Um, Hamilton, or sorry, Hamilton, of course. Tim Hortons Field. I'm looking at the, the lineup here. Tim Hortons Field, Friday. Uh, go to nitrocircus.com if you want to buy tickets. Uh, I'm sure some tickets are still available. Uh, you can go and watch Bruce come back, especially if you were at that first show. And you can stomach the tension of having seen that, <laughs> watching it again. Uh, he will be performing Friday night. Bruce, really appreciate you doing this. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks so much for having and me. Good luck on Friday. Do you say good luck? Is it still good luck? Is that uh, okay? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. All yeah. right. Good. <laughs> Never know what you're supposed to say, but yeah, good luck on Friday. Listen, <laughs> Bruce Cook from Nitro Circus. Um, that is a um, man. That is that is remarkable. I I know there are people who are saying that's insane, uh, and that's you know okay. That and you're not him. I'm not him. I I don't understand it either. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't understand it either. But if, as he says, the passion that he has to do this and the fact that he is proving to be inspirational to people who have had spinal cord injuries and had other things, okay, you know what, that to me, that part explains it. That part explains it. Simply doing it for the rush and nothing else, I would have a harder time wrapping my head around going back and doing it just for that reason, but... If you're, if you're true, if he's getting, as he says he is, if he's getting feedback from people around the world who have had spinal cord injuries and other things, and they are looking at this as a, as a, an inspiration, 
there's something to that. There is definitely something to that. We've had on this show a number of times a Hamilton guy, Kevin Rempel from Dundas, who is now, he just retired from the national sledge hockey team, played in Sochi as part of the Olympics. Same kind of thing, motorcycle accident, broke his back, went on a different thing. But it happens. It happens. It's, man, I'll tell you one thing. We go to break. I am so glad that I was not in First Ontario Centre the night that that accident happened. There is video of that accident. If you just type in Bruce Cook Nitro Circus, the video will pop up on Google search. I can't even watch it. I I was going to watch it before the show tonight. I remember seeing it three years ago. I cannot bring myself to watch it. it. It's just so horrible. But it's obviously being an inspiration to some people, so good for him for, for coming back. I, I couldn't do it, but good for him. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.